Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Hey, just wanted to say God bless you again for listening. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe. Give us five stars and a nice review. It really helps. and We need all the help we can get. Tom Bukovac was there the other day. Before I get into him, I wanted to say thanks again to Cathead Vodka out of Jackson, Mississippi. We love them because of their vodka, but also because of their heart for live music and live musicians. Check them out at catheaddistillery.com and Cathead Vodka on Instagram. When I grow up, I want to beat Tom Bukovac, or at least I want to play like him. He's one of the kindest, big-hearted dudes and one of my favorite guitar players on the whole planet. I hope you don't mind two guys laughing a bunch, because that's what you're going to hear. Here's the best thing to come out of Cleveland, Ohio, Tom Bukovac. All right, look at us. Look at us in front of the fire, Tom Bukovac. You got a nice fire going. My brother, how are you? Doing good, man. Glad to have you over, buddy. Man, thank you. We are at Shea Bukovac, and you just showed me a crazy, awesome piece of gear. What was that called? The the unicorn of the rotating speaker family. (laughs) (laughs) It's called the Yamaha RA200. Man, I'd never seen one of those. You said David Gilmore? Yeah, they were made in the 70s. 220 pounds of Japanese glory. (laughs) And Gilmore used them late 70s through early 80s. And man, just standing in front of one of those things is a party for your ears, isn't it? Dude, I couldn't. I mean, I asked you, what amp are you running that through? Because I didn't see anything. It's like, no, 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 that's it. Self-contained. I've always been a sucker for any kind of spinning speaker. Oh, yeah. It's, It's a big thing with me. (laughs) <laughs> even if you spin it above around your head like yeah, that sometimes kind of, i grab my amps and just spin them around which is yeah, you yeah. know which for a yeah a hundred rod head is it's a little difficult <laughs> so you were born in the magic cleveland ohio area wait you got somebody else that's sheets wrong what oh crap let me go to the second page you were born in afghanistan i'm sorry man that is nowhere close to cleveland. you didn't do your wrong work no man, yeah, I came from uh, snowy north, man, and uh, man, I I lived there for twenty four years, and I moved here in ninety two, before the boom. Yeah, right. Like, man, not I don't know what your question is going to be, but I really don't care. <laughs> I'm moving. <laughs> I'm moving on. <laughs> I guess I could just throw this away. So what kind of shoes are those? Those are cool, man. I like those. Well, yeah. Speaking of that, I thought this was going to be a visual thing, so I went and had my hair done and everything. I didn't. I, really, I meant yeah, to yeah. say that the tuxedo was yeah, not necessary, you. but man, you like strapping, <laughs> downright dashing. Yes. So you're all right. Yeah, ninety two. Let me tell you a little. A lot of people ask about Nashville, right? Like what? What you know? Everyone knows the Nashville now, which is. Super crowded, super congested. It's not quite L.A. or anything. It's on the but way. It's, but it's on the way, right? It's, so, a, is it, it's more like Atlanta to me. And it's still an amazing place yeah. that, that, I, that I think is a wonderful place. And I'll probably live here the rest of my life with jaunts to other places. But it, when in 92, I was, I was just an idiot 24-year-old kid. And I remember thinking, man, this place is the best kept secret. Yeah. Nobody knows about it. Everything you went to do, no lines, no waiting. There was just a ton of uh, room, space, parking lots were massive. You remember? Yeah, dude. And and uh, it, it was like I kept thinking to myself, why doesn't everybody know about this place? You know, all this great music going on and, and uh, all that shit. And, and uh, why doesn't everybody know about Nashville? And then, sure enough, man, by by you know mid two thousands, it was already. You know, and I'm not a I'm not a native, so I can't complain. Well, I mean, you've been here a long time. Been here a long time, but I do miss. You know, the thing I miss about the original Nashville that I, that 
I moved here for. Well, that that was the way Nashville was when I moved here. Was just the good old boys, man. There was yeah. there was not a lot of these like truly southern people around anymore. Like, oh no, I'm not going to use the word redneck, you know, because that's kind of a bad word. But beautiful, I miss, I miss the rednecks. I mean, yep. I miss the uh, the sort of like super sweetheart country people, simple people yep. that were around a lot back in those days. Everywhere you went. You run into these sweet southern people, and I—that's yeah. when I first fell in love with the South. And I was like, "Man, the people aren't like this where I grew up in Cleveland. Man, they're cool people, but it's a different kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's a uh, little I, more standoffish, maybe. Totally, yeah. yeah. And and I've always been a sucker for the whole southern charm thing, man. I love I love the South, dude. Getting called hun and darling oh, by dude. women that you have no idea, dude. When you're up in Cleveland, you try to talk to waiters and stuff the way you talk. They think yeah. you're gay or something, they're right? Like you know, they think you're like. You know, uh, or they think you've got some kind of uh, ulterior in, motive, interior, interior motive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Okay. <laughs> well, we are indoors, so yeah, if true. we were outdoors, it'd be an exterior motive. But I just love, I love the whole yeah. simple Southern thing, man. Even I mean, when somebody honks and flips you off, they're smiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, you know, you got the. Uh, I don't know, man. It's just like I've lectured, lived here longer than I lived up in Cleveland and I consider myself to be southern now. Oh, yeah. I mean I'm just by default, you know. I just Dude, I've cool. been here 30 33 years I think, yeah. 32 and yeah, I mean, this is home, man. Yeah, it's Absolutely. Great. Yeah, it's great. It's weird now. I mean, we had to make do a will and everything. Yes. And Amy's from Mississippi. So she has family there. Yes. She has family in Florida. Yes. I have family in Nebraska. It's like, what are we going to do with our oh, ashes, dude. man? Just put oh, them in a shoebox. Killer. And do the next. Like, I never thought I'd have had to have that conversation. No, but you're southern man. I'm a gentleman. A gentleman. So why Nashville? Well, you know, it, it, obviously, because the, the, the opportunities here are amazing. They still are, man. Yeah. You know, that hasn't changed. There's still, if you're a musician, there's just a ton of opportunities here, right? You you can't argue that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I got a road gig the first six months I moved here. I was just an idiot kid, green as could be. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know anybody. Who was that? Was that? Uh, a guy in MCA named Lionel Cartwright. He was kind oh, of yeah. like Ricky Skaggs type kind of guy. He was great. But, you know, I mean, I was, I'd never hey, been. Hey, that might be success yeah. call. Guess what I forgot to shut off. <laughs> yeah, he, you know... I was like, I had never been on a tour bus or anything. I yeah. was 24, 250 bucks a gig, man. I thought I was, because where, where we grew up in Cleveland, we couldn't, the only time we could ever make a hundred bucks a gig was on a New Year's Eve gig or something, you know, I had to wear a tux for that, you know, <laughs> but you've got one. Yeah. Well, the same actually, one? I borrowed the keyboard player's tux and he was like five, eight, I'm six, two. <laughs> Pants come up to your knees. Yeah. It was, you think I'm joking, but that was true. I mean, it was. It was rough times, man. We were broke, man. You but know? it was fun. It was fun. And it, we, we played these endless club gigs, you know, like hours, man. You'd play for three one-hour sets, man, and from like 10 o'clock till 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. And man, from 60 bucks at the end of it, your ears are just shot, man, just loud as hell. And You know what I mean? It was man, like stuff for kids. 2.30 in the morning, you still got it. Now it's time to load out. Oh, dude. And then unload again when you oh, get home. Oh, my God. And, oh, uh, dude, you know I'm all about it. And then you had like, uh, I, my ears were already shot by the time I was in my early 20s. Like tinnitus, yeah. full on rain, because of years of club gigs, you know. Oh, we didn't wear ear protection. You dude. Know, headphones, nothing. Well, if it's too loud, you're too old. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Loudest bands I've ever been in were those bands, as a matter of fact, even to this day. I know? think like a like a Fender Twin yeah. with that super clean sound yeah, can feel at least way way louder than a Marshall or oh, something. Oh, yeah. yeah. When, it, when you can feel it tingling in your ears because it's so loud and your yeah. eardrum's about to bust. That's when you reach over and turn it up a little louder and just leer at the keyboard player, <laughs> the lead singer. <laughs> well, so how did you get into studio stuff? Yeah, well, you know, I was a road guy forever, right? And uh, right around 2000, 1999, I suppose, I, I, I was, uh, you know, it's hard to break into the studios thing, right? Yeah. And you got to kind of like start at the bottom 
and really do a lot of horrible sessions and sort of work your way into right. the real stuff. Start with these terrible demos in people's basement studios. But I remember I was playing with Winona Judd in the mid-90s yeah. tour, and then I toured with John Fogarty in, like, in 2000, opening for Tina Turner across Europe. And I, after, right after that, I, I made a decision to stone-cold quit touring and just focus on being a studio guy. And I thought, man, this is going to suck because I'm not going to make any money at first. And it's going to be a majorly hard transition. But I didn't have a family back in those days or whatever. So it was easy to, you know, just take the chance. And so I, I, I remember sitting down in a hotel room one night, writing on a piece of paper, pros, cons. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And I was like, I that's, literally did that. I mean, that's very mature. Well, you know, I mean, I was scared to death. I was yeah, like, yeah. man, I, I can't quit this good gig, you know, and, and just be, a, but man, the first year. I, I made more money being a studio guy than I did. And all. It was immediate. Sort of, uh, I remember Russ Paul said to me during that time, I remember I was, you know, I was coming up in the studio and he was like, man, I've never seen a guy with a more meteoric rise to the top. <laughs> <laughs> Russ Paul said that. Dude, that's killing. That, he's like my That's idol. high praise. Yeah, man. he's my yeah. idol, you know. So I was like, "Wow, okay." I, I, I don't, I don't know how it happened, but man, I think maybe, you know, I'm not one to sit and reflect about this type of stuff. You know, you know, your best gig is your next gig. Yeah, yeah. but but I think maybe if I was going to be as bold as to say, I think at that time the kind of shit that I was doing on guitar was was really what people were looking for. Yeah. I kind of, I wasn't a chicken picker. And not a twanger kind of guy. Was that also the time of three refrigerator racks full of Brent, like that, Brett Rowan and those? Yeah, kind that of guys? part had just sort of ended, right? Okay. <clears throat> and and because um, I've never known you to be that. No, guy. I've never done that. But 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 I, I was coming in with the sort of like somber rock and roll tones, you know, like the atmosphere and the the echoey kind of yeah. uh, sort of you know. I mean, I could. I was always been a rock and roll guy, and I could bring yeah. that, and I could fake some country shit, like some twang and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I was sort of, you know, I, I was listening to Radiohead and stuff like that, and yeah, Pink yeah. Floyd, and I sort of used a lot of that stuff, and, and it, it actually fit right into a lot of the stuff that people were doing. That was like pre Coldplay and yeah, all that, and then the Coldplay things sort of happened. But, but you know, it just seemed like it was a good time, and I, I mean, I, I think that that sort of worked, you know, and. Uh, and a lot of people would still do that kind of stuff. I've sort of tried to move on from that now. Like I, yeah, I heard so much of that and did so much of that that I just kind of it kind of grosses me out anymore when people just use echo pedals and yeah, make swell, well, swelling, uh, swelling noises, whales. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it still works, but I did so much of that that I kind of like all I want to do now is just plug a guitar right into an amp and just get a raunchy tone and Dude, no effects. I think you know? the best effect you can ever have is that chord between your guitar yes, and that amp. Totally, I love yes, that. Totally. Well, I mean, touring, let me, well, let's do studio first. Yeah. Okay, Music Row Magazine, five-time winner, Session Guitarist of the Year, ACM, eight-time nominee, three-time winner. Wow. You played on five or six hundred albums wow. with such lightweights as Willie Nelson, Bob Seger, Steven Tyler, Stevie Nicks, Don Henley, every country act in Nashville, and who knows how many stinking demos Oh, man. That's a pretty good list. I had to get out of bed for all that shit. <laughs> That's what I always think about. I made it to those sessions <laughs> with hangovers and whatever. Dude, double greyhounds from, what was that, shuffleboard joint? <laughs> yeah, it's Melrose. Melrose, man. yeah. Man, we, we had a few down there, didn't we? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, oh, what do you, is that just bizarre to think? Oh, of, it's crazy. That's That list is you? It's crazy, man. I mean, because, you know... You know, oddly free, the guitar Absolutely. player. Absolutely, he's a dear friend, man. We do a lot of gigs together, and him and I are one of the things that that I think is really funny about our relationship is that we we talk to each other like we're the thirteen year old boys in our bedroom. Yeah. Still, we, we are still. <laughs> I got oh, a really yeah. funny story, actually. If you wanted to go here, yeah. <laughs> but um, man, you know, like oddly and I were were doing a gig the other day. This Willie. Nelson tribute thing. You, you think you were there? Yeah, is I think so. Bridgestone. Yeah, yeah. So at the rehearsals, you know, all these celebrities are coming, and we're in the house band, you know, right. and uh, 
you know, all these celebrities were coming. It's this endless stream of celebrities. And, and uh, it, like, it, got, it was so funny after a while, like, you know, Jimmy Hendrix could have walked through the door. Would have been, yeah. well, Jimmy's here too. You know? <laughs> it was so like, endless. And at one point, we're all just sitting up on the stage on a break in between the songs. And Bob Seger came walking in because he was playing next door at the Bridgestone. And Bob walks right over to me. He's like, dude, hey, man, because I played on a few of his records. Yeah. And he was, he just walked right over to me. And then he walked away, talked to other people. And Audley looks at me like 13-year-old oh, boy. And he dude. goes, can you believe? Was that? It was, was, you know, was that? That, that guy who you were an idol of yours, you know, listened to his records in your room when your kid dude. just walked over to you. You know, it's like. Had his cassette in your car hey, in yeah, high school. Man, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, it's that part of it is surreal. Mm-hmm. Like, and then you realize, you know, the, 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 the sort of grown-up part of me goes, these are all just guys, man. Yeah. Total normal dudes. You know, when I was playing with Walsh, you know, he was a childhood idol of mine. Absolutely. You know? and, yeah. And these guys are just people, man. And, and we all know that. They, you know, they're, they're rock stars in our minds when we were kids, but they're just people and they have the same problems. Yeah. And same insecurities. We all do, you know. But, man... Every once in a while, like some surreal moment like that will happen, and I'll just be like, "Wow, man, this is just crazy to me. I can't believe yeah. this." Because you know, if I would have stayed in Cleveland, I probably would have just ended up a total alcoholic playing, you know, crap bars. Yeah, you know what I mean. But but I just the only thing I did right was that I just moved to a place where there was some opportunity. Dude, uh, it's many famous people as you meet, especially now. As long as you've been here, it's like, do you ever get to the studio the first day that? Steven Tyler album yeah. and, and whoever's I don't even know who produced that was it Dan, Dan maybe yeah, yeah. and Dan goes hey Steven you know yeah, Tom yeah I mean your eyes just oh, light dude, up like crazy. well he was oh. super cool by the way Steven, oh I'm sure Steven's very cool but um, yeah you know I, of course man I mean and I'm known as the question guy right oh yeah that my whole thing always been like I am fearless about asking probing questions to, like you, to people my favorites are your top five list oh the top five list. Top five yeah. over most Man, overrated guitar players. my whole thing <laughs> is to get on a session play some music get to the point where everyone's like happy and you know you don't want to pull this too early right <laughs> you get to the point where everybody's cool and tracks feeling good and everybody's we're all peers at that point yeah and then and then you go all right steven Tell me about so and so. Like, tell me how you guys got the kick drum sound on back in the south. Oh yeah, all this shit that I've always wondered. Yeah. Oh, and then he goes and launches into this amazing story. Like, wow, we had these big amps, man, and we used to set the amp ups right facing the kick drum, and then we would we would mic the kick drum, play it through the amps so that Mike was picking up the bass drum and the amps, and all this amazing stuff that they used to do in the studio. You know. Back in the saddle, not to go off on a Stephen Tyler tangent, but back in the saddle, I yeah. would say my top one of my top five most amazing recordings yeah. in the history of rock and roll. Oh yeah, this song blows my mind. This mic's dripping a little. Is bit. it dripping? It so, and uh, I asked Stephen, "Tell me anything you can remember about doing that." And he was like, "He goes, man, I, I go. Did you do all those horse sounds and all, you know those whining? Oh yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, I did all that. And he goes, he goes, I remember at one point." taping a bunch of tambourines to my boots and stomping around the room and i took a la- i set up a, a circle of neumann mics and i was swinging a lasso around in the studio that's the kind of shit they used to do on those sessions it's so fucking rock and roll man so awesome is it not can i do that again no no no, no. Oh, i think we got it man i mean oh, yeah God. that's that would probably Amazing. not be uh not be thought of oh man in a it's so Session cool. Today. I mean, that's oh. the kind of shit I live for. Hearing those stories, yeah, from those guys that were actually there. You know, it, it's the same thing as as writing. It's like I was telling Amy the other day. It's like you know, with all the publishing companies moving downtown and off of Music yeah. Row and stuff. And I said, I remember being in the Almo Irving Building, and I was waiting for my co-writer. I got there early, and they put me in this room. Yeah, and I just put my stuff down and got my guitar out and sat on a couch yes and then when my co-writer came she brought him in opened the door and she went oh honey that's where roger miller used to sit and it was just like oh all these tears came in down i was just so blown away man and, and you hear just even that kind of stuff oh, and man. i don't know if the next generation has that kind of reverence you know 
And so, yeah, hearing those kind of stories, it's just like... That's what I live for. Oh, man. That's my favorite part of working with these people. Because I'm, you know, it's it's just, I'm still at 13, man. Yeah. I never, and I'm also still thinking about those club gigs I played in Cleveland, you know? Yeah. it's very fresh in my mind. And not in a mean yeah. way, but you're yeah. kind of going, it's man, like, if they could see me now. Totally. Asking yeah. Steven Tyler about the exactly. bass drum sound. <laughs> <laughs> and not one of them would be surprised. So do, on those kind of sessions, I mean, do you prepare for each artist the same no, way? No, man. You, there's no preparation. You, you can't do that, you right? Because you, you don't know what the music's going to be. You have no idea gonna what be. you're going to be doing. Uh, I, there, every once in a while... They'll send you a song or two previous to a session. The only time that ever happens is if there's some particular thing that has to be worked out. Right. Like Julian Raymond is a great producer guy that I work with a lot. He'll he'll say, learn this solo or, or you know, okay. make sure you know how to do all this. Because, you know, he doesn't want to waste time on the session. He's right. going to sit and figure it out. Yeah. Know? But that's pretty rare. That only happens once in a great while. Most of the time, you just walk in. And you just start playing, man. You know. So do you take the same five or six amps, ten yeah, or twelve guitars, much, man? Um, to every session. I mean, the cartridge rig that I use has got you know three or four amps. Yeah. About a dozen guitars all in a case and some pedals, and I take all that. Got you know an acoustic, twelve string, baritone, bazooki. No, <laughs> Kenny Chesney calls it a bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> and no one corrects him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love that. It's so cute. That would be in Russ Paul's case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, play that bazooka. Play that bazooka. <laughs> so, I mean, so you, is is the session work? Is there, I mean, is well, it yes and no? Because every guy in the world, like me, has a Pro Tools rig in his house. I mean, man, so is it? I just feel like there's there's like a million people that want to make records. There's, Good. There's just no money anymore. Yeah. The, the desire to make records is never... Well, I was going to ask you that you about know. the Julian Raymond thing. Does he yeah. ask you, he doesn't want to waste time? Is that beca- a lot of that because oh, yeah. budgets are down? Totally. Yeah. Budget, there's so much budget constraints now. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of killed, it's killed a lot of the fun, you know, because everything is such, such a tight yeah. budget now. You know, they want to get so much done and... That's fine. I mean, I get it because there's just no money coming down from record labels anyway. Everyone pays for everything themselves. You yep. Know? Yep. So I totally understand it. You yeah. Know, um, if somebody's going to pay you a thousand bucks anymore to work for a day, you're going to work your fucking ass off. <laughs> it used to be like that was like you could you could make it fifteen hundred bucks a day back in the in the old days and hardly do anything. Yeah. But now, if somebody's going to give you a thousand bucks, man, you're going to be there for gonna fourteen hours. You're going to play a million parts. Yeah. You're going to you know, you're going to work your ass off. Yeah. Which is, you know, I always felt like those, in the old days, that money was ludicrous anyway. It seemed like too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? I always knew there was something wrong with that. <laughs> well, but, you, but I mean, you know, I have two Diamond Awards at my house from Dixie Chicks Records. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine we were selling 10 million copies, oh. physical copies of records? Where now, I mean, God bless them, Florida Georgia Lion got, I think, the first ever Diamond Download Award. Who ever thought that would be a Isn't thing? That amazing. Don't you think in the near future there won't even be records anymore? Yeah. Like I the, mean, the concept of they won't even make records. It, I think you're going to have to try to reinvent cool like they are yes. with genuine albums. Yes. You know, I remember uh, Cheap Trick <laughs> on their last yeah, album. Yeah had the best-selling eight-track. They were number one in like 70 countries because... Their eight-track. They were the only person that year that put out an eight-track. That's awesome. Good idea. But yeah, that I think I think you're right. I yeah. think it's it's going to be downloads and then yeah. whatever's cool, like right. the album. Right. Or maybe the eight-track will come back. Right. I, who knows, man? I heard the single's coming back. Is it? It's like, I don't have a cassette player anymore. I do. Do you really? Oh, hell yeah. I got I, a couple well, of them. no, I guess I do. I guess I do. Yeah. We still we still spend a lot of vinyl around here. I know it's sort of like hipster cool to do that, but I I've I've always done that. I, Dude, I, I love it. My wife can't understand yeah. why I keep buying CDs, and mm-hmm. I go because they sound great. Liner notes, yeah, and they sound great. They sound great. Yeah, they do sound great. Dude, still I'd, beats any download or oh yeah. streaming. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. So you you mentioned touring. Winona, Faith, John Fogarty, Vince Gill, Joe Walsh. Yep. Guys Trigger like... Baby. Huh? 
The trigger hit oh, I know. They're on yeah, there too. Yeah, that was a, that was a couple years saga. That was cool. <laughs> Touring in a van as a grown man. <sighs> man, that was hard. Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Okay, riddle me this. Guys like John Fogarty, Vince Gill, Joe Walsh. Yes, you're a great guitar player. They're great guitar players. Yeah. Why do they why would they bring another guitar player? I in? can tell you. I've always thought about this. I mean, here's the thing. I don't know. I never planned this because I'm not smart enough to ever plan this. But I've worked with tons of guitar players. I remember we made all those Keith Urban records in the early days. Yeah. You know, uh, guitar players are not threatened by me. It's weird. Like, I'm not a competitive guy. Yeah. Uh, I Man, I've built a whole, like, sort of career out of being a support guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I can shred and I can play some shit and yeah. step out if I need to. But my first inclination is to play when, when I play with another guitar player is what are you playing and then what can I do to make that even cooler just an augment and I'm not just saying this dude I yeah. really really believe this man and I think I, I don't come out and tell people that but I yeah. think they can pick up on that and and I feel like that, that you know some guitar players are kind of territorial sure and sort of competitive and catty by nature and I think that people can sort of sense I'm not coming at it from that angle man you know I, I I mean, if somebody wants to get in a gunfight with me, I can I can fight them. Yeah, but that is not my thing. Not I, I don't I don't. Uh, I'm 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 like I'm like man. You're playing solo. I'm going to play some killer rhythm. Like Vince Gill, he says he loves having me in the band. I'm the only guy that ever played rhythm in this band, but really plays rhythm. Right. You know, like I'll sit there all night long and play rhythm. I don't have to have solos. Yeah. I like playing rhythm. I feel like rhythm guitar is a dying art form. Oh, dude. You know, especially now with. It's funny, like on Sirius XM and stuff, when Malcolm Young died, all of a sudden, everybody in the world was interested in rhythm guitar. Rhythm guitar, hell yeah. It's like, he was like the last, best, whatever, of, you know what? And I love playing rhythm. I do, man. That's very cool. So, what do you like doing better? Studio or touring? Studio. Yeah? Uh, here's why. It's just, playing live gigs is a young man's game, man. You know what I mean? I, I'm getting to the age now. Where I feel like a total poser just standing up on stage. You know, nobody wants to see some 50 year old guy up there playing. You know, it's like, you know, what I mean? you know what I mean? It's like even when I was younger, I had a bit of a problem with it. But now I'm like, the only time I ever feel comfortable anymore playing live is when I'm really playing something. Yeah. If if I'm really going for something, like, and I'm really playing something, then I feel cool. Yeah. But but if I'm like just standing up there, like just just goofing around playing nothing I, I don't i don't need to be up on the stage you know it's like i, I don't know i think i'm actually probably reaching the end of my whole really tour. yeah and, and it, it's fine I, i'm not even but in the studio i've always felt super comfortable yeah and, and at home here's why because the studio it doesn't matter you can't pose in the studio man it doesn't right. matter what clothes you wear it doesn't matter how cool you are all that matters is what's going on to that tape and it's an equal level playing field for everyone. You know, you got guys turn up to sessions and, you know, they look like they might be the air conditioning guy. Yeah. But they'll go sit down and play some amazing shit. Yeah. And it's all that matters, man. It's all, and that's what I love about the studio. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, for me, it's just a super comfortable place. Yeah. I've always loved it, you know. Do you still, like you were saying, if there's somebody's going to pay you a thousand bucks, you're going yeah. to work your balls off. Totally. Does he, do you still feel, does that help your creativity because you're now forced to come up with yeah, more man. parts? I, I don't, the only thing that's changed for me is that when I was younger, I could assimilate like a million songs in a day. But yeah. right now, at this age, I'm pretty good for about five songs. And then my mind just, I can't take it anymore. It all starts sounding the same to me. That's what I was going to ask you. You know, like, like, I'm really into about five songs where I can really be creative. I can really yeah. come up with some cool parts. I feel like I can eat the song. Like, yeah. digest the song. Really get to know it. Milk everything I can out of it. And then, and then create something cool. But after that point, after about five songs, I'm done. You told me also, when you were... 
three sessions a day plus maybe a Burn. demo for a friend. You Burn. told me always make sure you're doing a session as a writer on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Because by Thursday or Friday, yeah. you're just scratching your head trying to figure out if totally. you've already played this. Totally. This week. No, it's, yeah, and those 6 o'clock sessions, unless you bring the booze out, <laughs> are pretty useless. If you're doing some raunchy music and you want to get a real live feel, yeah. bring the booze out. Get some cats that like to drink a little bit. And you're going to get something cool. Play some stones. Yeah, you're going to yeah. get something cool. But but try to do like brain music at 6 right. o'clock. No. Or just another 145 yeah, kind of. No, yeah, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. It ain't going to happen. Well, you brought up Trigger Hippie. What uh, what was that? It was cool, man. It was uh, it was the first time I've ever been in a jam band. I yeah. didn't even know about that world. I, I, like I had, I'm not like a, you know, kind of... I have zero hippie in me whatsoever, right. and and uh, like I didn't know that that whole jam band world was. Well, who all was in that band? Well, it's Joan Osborne, who right. I've always loved. Yeah, uh, Steve Gorman, founding member of Black Crows. Crows, and a great sports radio guy. Great sports radio guy, and the smartest person I've ever known in my entire life. His intelligence scares me. Really? Oh my god! And you're welcome, Steve. I do mean <laughs> that if you ever listen to. And then we had uh, uh, a guy named Nick Govrick, who's a dear friend of mine, bass player, who opened an amazing restaurant called the Kitchen West. You need to you need to go to. I need to Kitchen West. And uh, and then the drummer or the uh, keyboard player was this guy Jackie Green, uh, who's kind of a legend in the jam band world. You know? Okay, he played with Grateful Dead and all that. And um, Phil Lesh. Yeah, but so. It was, you know, I'd never been a part of that world, and I was amazed, you know, because I've always loved, like, Derek Trucks, and he's, like, my favorite oh, dude, guitar player, yeah. you know. Derek Trucks is the LeBron James of guitar. <laughs> is he not? <laughs> he's the best living guitar player, yeah. in my humble opinion. Dude, yeah. Man, and I've gotten to know him a little bit, been around him on a few gigs, he's the nicest cat yeah. in the world. What a sweet guy. So anyway, yeah, that band was cool. Uh, it was harrowing traveling conditions, sketchy hotels, and no money. But it was a really good experience because we were playing some nasty rock and roll in all of those clubs that I always was never cool cool enough to play. Right, when right, I was right. growing up. You know what I mean? Yeah. All the cool like rock and roll bars all across the U.S. It was great. Did you guys play all the jam festivals and stuff totally. too? We did all that stuff. It was great, and it was a good. It was a good band. It was like. Uh, on a good night, that band could really rise up. On a bad night, we were pretty lame. Really? And the crowd wasn't into it. But man, on magical nights when we had a good crowd and we were all in the mood to play, man, that band could could raise up off the ground. I suppose, yeah, when it's super improvisational, the crowd totally. crowd really oh, matters. It was hugely uh, affected by what was going on out there, you know. But man, I, I just think that whole jam band world is super cool. I mean... Not only is it alive and well, and there's a lot of money to be made in that in that world for people, you know, selling merch and records, and it's just a cool scene, man. Yeah, it's a cool scene. I totally see why people are into that. You know, I didn't I didn't know that it was so awesome. You don't have to wear your tux. No, you could, no tux needed. You, just, you don't have to shower. <laughs> you could just go. <laughs> you could just reapply your patchouli and head to the gig. <laughs> it was cool. You play as loud as you want, long as you want. Don't have to worry about words and lyrics, you know, <laughs> all that pesky stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so were you like seriously? I suppose if you were in a van pulling a trailer, you were pretty gear limited, huh? Like- Dude, we had one guy that was our tour manager. He did our. He set up all the gear, ran sound, and then drove. Oh. Dude, this guy would not sleep for three days at a time. I was gonna say, and we it was that's when that's when I was in the back of a, of a Ford Econoline van. Yeah. At four in the morning, halfway through a drive to Chicago, with a guy at the wheel who hasn't slept in three days, mm-hmm. and I got two kids. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, oh my god! And you're gonna hell? maybe break even oh, on this god. whole run. What am I doing? What am I doing? But I don't regret it. Yeah, it, you know, I did it for a couple of years, and it was fun. I learned a lot, and that's really a, that's all that matters. Yeah, you know, I learned a lot. What did you learn from a second gear used mm, music consignment okay. store? Well, I'll tell you what happened, man. <laughs> I got so burned out being a session guy that I couldn't take it anymore. And now, I, why, I retired, man. Real quick, why why is that? Because just it's because just it's all a hard the same? job and it's Yeah. And and my mind wasn't right, man. 
I was really burned. Man. Yeah. I was not coming at it from the right angle. I was overworked, freaked out. My wife's father and parents came to visit us one Christmas. And the old man, who's a pretty deep thinker, he goes, I hear you're not sleeping. And I go, yeah, I'm not sleeping. He goes, what's the matter? I go, I, go, I don't know. It's something I got to do with my life that I, that I, uh, I can't just die a session player. I can't, hmm. I can't do that. He's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, man, you, well, you know, I always loved buying and selling old guitars. I want, I've always wanted to have a music store. He goes, well, fucking do it. Yeah. And I was like, I know, man. I've been looking for some, some spaces. He goes, just fucking do it. And within a month, man, I had rented a building, had this shit in place to have a store. People were calling me for sessions. I said, can't do it. Really? the store. Yeah. And, you know, again, I'm not smart enough to ever figure any of this shit out on my own. I, it was all an accident. I took three years off. I really never thought I was going to do it again. The, really? The whole, uh, seriously. And I was cool with it. Yeah. But a couple of people sort of came out of the woods after three years. I closed the shop down because cause it, it just, I was getting home 10 minutes before the kids go to bed every yeah. night. And my wife put up with it for three years. And after a while, it was just like, are you really making enough money to, yeah. to justify missing all this? And, and I shut it down. And your I'll wife. do another one, and I will do another one because I it's it's definitely in the plans. But well, plus your wife being the beautiful and talented Sarah Buxton, yeah. I'm sure she probably had things to do too. Totally, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, a couple of people started calling again. Man, you want to come do some sessions? I was like, ah, I was nervous to even come back to it. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, I was so rusty and. and uh, she still listen to music during that yeah, time? Yeah, but you know, shoot, I like yeah. you know, and and. But, man, when I came back after it shook the dust off a little bit, I, I realized, man, I love doing this. Yeah. And, I, and I'm really still, I'm still good at it. And I, and I appreciate it so much more now than I did back in the day when I was, like, killing it. I mean, I, I'm so much more in the right headspace. Like, yeah. I'm really happy to see my old friends, really thankful to be playing music, man. Yeah. And, and man, the positive thing has just been, like, I wish I would have had one ounce of that back in the day. Right. I mean, I was too burned out. And the process has probably changed just enough to yeah. make you really go. You totally. kind of got to keep you on your toes a little totally, bit. Totally, man. And, and it's like, it's great, man. And I'm doing like tons of sessions now. And I'm like thrilled to be there, yeah. which is amazing. Because like, you should have seen how fried I was, dude. It was bad. Mm. I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. My first question when I walked through the door, how many songs? Oh, yeah. Like, how, what the hell do I got to do to get out exactly. of Exactly. That is not a good place <laughs> right. to be, right? <laughs> now I'm like, the last song ends, and I'm like, going, man, let's do another let's song. Let's do another one. You know? It's, what, else you, what else you got? Yeah. It's weird. Are people still doing demos with full nah, bands? No, demos are dead, man. Yeah, that's but, what I thought. But, but they should have been dead. And I can, if you want. Oh, dude. Can I go off on that for Absolutely. two seconds? Absolutely. Okay. I said this in another interview recently i hope i'm not repeating myself but okay i did tons of demos for years and i was always i talked about this with george okay on the george thing yeah yeah yeah. it the demo thing was big in nashville for a long time before the track guy came along right yeah yeah and then you got a bunch of guys in a room demoing these songs and they weren't really into it they didn't really care unless it was like a writer or somebody that they really liked you know, the, the, the people would bring in these songs and they would just get butchered by these guys that didn't give a shit. Yeah. Trying to get the money and get out. And the, the, the advent of the track guy was inevitable. Because, yeah. because what ends up happening is that the writers get more what they're really looking for on the writing session. You walk out of the writing session with a full demo. Yeah. And that's fucking great. That's, that's why great. I, that's why I started, that's why I got Pro Tools yeah, because me and whoever would write a song, yes, and you record it on your phone, and neither one of you knows the song, totally. but you're both. And then we'd go to the session, and you'd have the chart, and you'd go, "Hey, Bart, is this a two or a five? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, because one of you is playing one, and one of you is playing the other. It's a two. All right, it's a two, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's good for the writer because it's cheaper. They don't have to pay for demos anymore. It's a waste of money anyway. Yeah. And uh, now they got 
full demos when they leave the writing session. Yep. And then sometimes you can take these templates that they did on the writing session, take them into a real studio, add some shit with some real players, yeah. make it even cooler. Make it a record. And, and man, that's awesome. I'll tell you what, though, man. It, used to, it still does just blow me away to have those five work tapes chartered out, go into a room oh, yeah. with guys like you and Greg and yeah. Pat and, yeah. and just... And three hours later, have five, maybe six whole songs done, yeah. and it went down like yeah. that. And it's that was, dude, it was freaking magic. Yeah, yeah. When it goes right. Yeah. When it goes right. Well, I mean, everybody was, you know. typically, people were in a pretty good mood, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you're, you're different. you got a great personality, and people love you because you're so <laughs> well, funny. Thanks. I mean, a lot of these writers that were bringing songs, you, you know, they didn't really get the whole thing. you got to be kind of a showman. Yeah, yeah. You know, you gotta like get these guys going. Like, you know that studio uh, Legends. You oh yeah, working there. Yep, that place is a trip to me. Like, it, it's a. I worked there once in a while with Dan, and uh, that's like the roughest crowd. Oh, I bet. I mean, you can get as a musician, yeah. writer, you can get eaten alive in that environment. It's like a bunch of construction workers watching a hot chick walk by. Right. That's the kind of vibe that's in that place, right? If anybody shows a sign of weakness in there, they're done. There's blood in the water. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you got to be a badass to even like keep up with that crowd. Yeah. I mean, it's a uh, man. I feel sorry for writers coming there that don't have a lot of confidence because they'll just get eaten alive, dude. You got to come in there ballsy. Yeah. And and you got to tell the cats what you want because if you pussy around with them. They're just going to eat you alive. Yeah. Yeah, if you wait for a bass player to figure out what you want as a writer, oh, yeah. you may as well go home. Totally. That's why I totally. always thought it was so much easier to reel the band back in yeah. than to push the band back out. Totally. You know? It's yeah. like what you played was perfect. Can yeah. we dial it down a little bit instead of trying to make somebody go further? Yeah, no. It's it hard, works. man. No. And there's very... It's... It's so important what you say over that talkback. Oh, dude. As you, that probably is the biggest learning curve for a writer. Yeah. Learning how to talk to cats. Yeah. And not piss them off. Oh, God. I'll tell There's you. so many landlines. Is there not? There's a guitar player. I'm not going to say his name. He's a great player. Mm-hmm. But he can be a little persnickety. Mm-hmm. I had one song on the five song, you know, where you got five songs and there's five different writers on every song, which is a complete cluster to begin with. And I was in there after this other girl, I can't even remember her name. This guitar player played something and it was great, but it wasn't what she wanted. And she hit that talk back and went, um, guitar player. It's like... And I looked at her knowing that I was the next guy on this session. I was like, you couldn't even bother to learn the band's name, even if you have to write it down. Oh, dude. And then when I got up there to do my song. They were already pissed. It was not good. Yeah, it was ugly. Yeah. That's a really good point, man. Dude, I mean, as a player, I mean, I've only got the other side of the glass perspective. You know, you can see on a session when somebody says the wrong thing over to talk back, you can just see the air deflate oh, can, out of every player. And when they quit, their, their bodies are still there. But when they quit, it's like somebody flipped a switch off. Yep. Because here's the thing. All right. I've always said this, man. I, I couldn't believe this any more than I do. There's, there's two qualifications a person has to have for me to follow them down a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. They either have to be super nice right, or they have to be a genius. Okay, yeah. And if they don't have yeah. either one of those two things... It's going to be a long day. I can't go. Yeah. I can't... Like, I'll, I'll follow somebody down these crazy rabbit holes as long as they're super sweet. I don't care if they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I'll, I'm like, fun. Let's, let's have this ride. Let's experiment. It's, and and I, even if the guy's a total asshole, if I know he's a genius, yeah, I'm into it. I'm like, okay... I'll go with you. Because you know, you know he's seeing yes. something you're not. Yes. But so, if they don't have either one, yeah. and they start saying stuff over the talk back, that's not cool. <laughs> I'm out, man. Do you, have a, do you have an example of something that's no. not? Well, not <laughs> I don't want to know who it was, yeah, okay. but like, like what okay. would a scenario be? Oh, yeah, man. Like you just said, you know, like there's all these things, man. Like it, it, musicians can sense 
even one ounce of condescending. Oh, dude. When you start condescending, it's over, dude. Yep. I don't care who it is. The the guys will just phone it in, man. And, 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 man, you can't go there. And you also can't be too pussy. You yeah. can't be all like, oh, that's great. You know, they like to be told a little bit what to do, but you got to do it yeah. the right way. It's kind of like a relationship with, with a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's a joke. So, <laughs> when you, <laughs> I've never asked a woman to use a Les Paul instead of a telly. I don't, so I don't know what you're getting at. But yeah. But yeah, we, you know, and, and man, like... <laughs> We're all, okay, when, when the guys show up at 10 o'clock on any ordinary session day, they're all coffeeed up, they've been listening to some cool music on the way in, yeah. they're ready to do something good. Yeah. As long as you don't fuck that up, they're going to give you something good. I used to spend so much time for the morning session, especially on the set list. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, let's start out with something fun. Yeah. Because just of that, what you just exactly. very, you know, yeah. let's not start out with a song about grandma dying. Yeah, right. Ballad, that's going to bum me. Let's start yeah. out with a fist banger. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a lot of psychology to it. <laughs> and, it, you know, man, some of these people just don't know any better. They don't, they're not experienced enough to even know. And they, they don't really have any mal no. intentions. They, no, not they, at all. They just don't know how right. to, I call it boardside manner. Ah, it's, it's an old saying. I mean, I'm not. I didn't invent that. But it's like, man, when you when you know how to talk to people over the talkback, yeah, and and get the best out of them. That's what great producers do. Yep, they know how to say just the right thing to to motivate, to encourage musicians who who can be jaded, you know, sort of people. But they know how to get the best out of them, man, and and. There's a lot of different ways to produce a record. Every producer has a different style. But in the end, one thing they all have in common, the great producers, is exactly what I just said. Yeah. They know how to, in their own way, drag something out of you. Well, and you also have to know the room pretty quick. Mm-hmm. you got to know, figure out that Greg's playing drums on this, and he's kind of in a bad mood today. Yeah, so yeah, it's just, yeah. No, it's just like walking into yeah, a party. You, absolutely. You assess the room, you, you know, you... you you've, but, you know, here's the thing. Like, I've been accused in the past of being a bit too uh, loudmouth. I'm very outspoken. Yeah. I mean, I want the project to be great. Yeah. Well, your I, name's on it. Uh, yeah. And I want, but here's my thing. If nobody is in control, yeah. I call it having the ball, then I pick up the ball. Right. I, I'm waiting to see who's got the ball when yeah. I walk in a session. As long as I'm, I trust that somebody's got the ball... I'm cool with it. I'll sit there and play all day and gladly. And and but when there's nobody with the ball, who should have the ball? Whoever. I mean the producer. The producer. You know, or, or the artist. Or it could be the engineer. It could be the writer. Whoever. Somebody should have the ball. Yeah. And and when no one has the ball, the whole session goes to hell. Yeah. I hate it. God, I hate it. And when there's I, my sixth sense is that to, is when there's no ball, when somebody doesn't, I, I'm like I got the fucking ball. Yeah. And then I start bossing everybody around because because I can't stand it. I well, can't stand. It, at that point, you don't even feel invested enough to tell the keyboard player what you played was great, but how about something like this? Or yeah. if if you got that vision, totally. And then, it, you got like, yeah, man, these, these these sort of empty sessions where there's like nobody in control, and it's like, man, when you work with Don Was in the studio, he's got the fucking ball. I bet. He doesn't even have to say anything. Yeah. And he's got the ball. You know what I'm saying? It's like, he just sits there. And you're like, that motherfucker's got the ball. <laughs> he just looks at you. I love that, man. Two-inch gap between the top of his yeah, glasses dude, and the I bottom of that. his hat. I, I, I disrespect the living shit out of that. Yeah. I'm moving this mic stand. Sorry. It's no. just falling down. I know it. Okay. But Don is a classic example of a of a guy who just knows how to lead. Yeah, and he doesn't have to tell everybody everything. He, he some producers are very hands on, very outspoken. Don's pretty soft spoken, but he man, it's just his whole spirit and his vibe is so encouraging and so cool. Yeah, he just 
makes you feel like you're a badass. Well, that's what you say also about the condescension thing. I've never known anybody in any job, in any walk of life, on any given day that works better when you tell them they suck. Yeah, right. It doesn't work. And also, there's, work, there's the guy that tries to tell you how to play, and yet his specialty in life is he's a mechanic, and he's a fantastic mechanic. Exactly. But it's like, dude... Why do you think we hire these great players? Because they're better than we are. Totally. It took me 13 totally. seconds to figure that out. I have a great story to illustrate that point perfectly. Okay. A mechanic? No. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've worked a lot with Dave Stewart. You're in the Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And I marvel at that guy because he's got so much shit going on. Yeah. He's got businesses. He's got, he's got film companies. He's got record companies. He's got... Mm. He's making movies. He's got artists he's developing. He's got a million things going on. And he's juggling all this stuff. And I, and I, I remember one time in a session at Blackbird, I sat down next to him and I said, Dude, how in the fuck do you have time to do all this shit? And he, goes, he goes, Tom, the reason you're here to play guitar is because you know what you're doing. I hire people all around me that are really good at what they do and I don't say anything. I just let them do their thing. And when you delegate like that, yeah. you, if, the people that suffer and struggle in life are the people that can't let go of any control. Uh, right? Yeah. I struggle with that. I'm a control freak in some ways. I, 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 I feel like I would have been better served in life sometimes to just let go and yeah. like trust. It's hard. It's hard it's to hard delegate. It's hard to do, man. Especially if it's something that's your baby. It's super hard to do. It's really man, hard. Dave is such an inspiration in that regard. Man, he's he's like he's just so in touch with that. Yeah. It's just cool, man. It's really cool. Mm. It's really cool. He's a good dude. Is he? Oh dude. I love that guy. Does he ever ask about me? <laughs> ever? I, I, I totally <laughs> ask him about you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, just for a quick sec, let, let's get back to your shop. Yeah. How did you, you're such a tone guy, and you're such a, uh, I don't know, just a, you always have coolest gear in the room. Dude. How did you know what to what to bring home and what to leave at the store? Oh, man, that was tough. I yeah, because, you know, it's like, man, shit, it's like, it'd be like a person who had like an eating disorder working in a restaurant, you know? I yeah. mean, it was like. All this gear coming in there, and believe me, I mean, I've always been a horn swaggler. You know, I made up that word as, as a sort of a person that's just constantly trading, buying, hey, selling, yeah. and haggling. I'm an old old school haggler. Art form to me, man. And 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 uh, man, you know, I always know another horn swaggler when I see one. Yes. You know, it's like it's it's a breed. I'm old school like that, but you know, so like. You know, I would always go into everybody else's store, and I thought, man, looking looking for certain things, and you know, I'd try to find a cool instrument for a decent price or whatever. And I thought, man, if I start my own fucking store, maybe some cool shit will walk in. And it did. Yeah. Not as much as I thought might really? work in, but but some shit did walk in. And 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 more. One of the cool things about it was that people would bring in shit to sell, consign. And I would have all these piles of pedals and amps and stuff. And I, if I wanted to, I could just take that shit, use it on a session, try it out. Stuff that uh, I would I never, never normally... I never thought about that. And never, I would never normally like ever bother. Yeah. Some, I found some really cool stuff that way. Like, man, this thing's just sitting here. I might as well take it and try it. Yeah. And I'd take it and I'd be like, this is fucking cool. Or this sucks or whatever. Right. I can and, see and, why and, you know, I was enamored with the concept of the pedal before I opened the shop because... I thought pedals are so cool. Pedals are so cool. And then when you have the shop, it's like zillions of pedals <laughs> flooding at you. And after a while, it's like pedals are meaningless. Yeah. Like, fuck pedals. Like, there's only a couple of good ones. Right. Every other one's <laughs> yeah. a door jam. <laughs> oh, man. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. But you also said something about one thing you learned is that, first of all, musicians are broke. Totally. <laughs> fucking broke I always knew they were broke but not to that extent yeah I mean these poor guys would sweetheart people would come into the store 
and sit and fall in love with an $80 pedal. And I could tell they wanted the fucking thing. Yeah. And they can't swing it. It's pitiful. Yeah. And, I, and, and like, it didn't matter what I priced the shit at. It, the price wasn't the issue. No. I mean, my prices were low as hell. Yeah. And nobody could buy it anyway because they just didn't have any money. Yeah. And I was like, and then I started thinking, why did I choose the brokest demographic of people in the world to try to sell <laughs> shit to? I mean, I love all these guys, but all this is is a day club for them to hang out with. They're not right. going to buy anything, you know, and that's cool yeah. too. But it's like, I think, I don't know. Maybe that answers the question of why there's only high-end vintage and then there's also all this pro, pro guitar center type stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much what sells. Yeah. Right? Working man's used gear, not yeah. so much, I don't think. I thought that would work. It kind of did work, but I don't know. Dude, even the some of the stuff you see on uh the internet one certain store which you mentioned earlier which i also won't mention but they yeah. claim to have stevie ray vaughn's actual tube screamer right and they wanted twelve thousand five hundred dollars for it <laughs> and it sounds as shitty as every other tube screamer, absolutely right? yeah yeah i go does this yeah. come with a dna sample yeah, and a level right. of authenticity and totally. will it make sure that i sound like steve no it's like well who the crap would buy a twelve thousand five hundred dollar tube screamer oh, god it makes me, I think about stuff like that. We were doing that Willie gig the other day. I'm like, this is, this is fucking Willie Nelson standing here. He's like two feet from me. And he's got that original guitar. Oh, trigger? That he, that, and that original strap and that original amp. That amp. I mean, what the fuck do you think that guitar, one day in the sad day when Willie moves on, is worth? Oh. I know he's already promised it to the Smithsonian, which I think is a great idea. Oh, that's cool. I didn't but, know that. I mean, seriously. Would it surprise you if somebody paid $10 million for no. a guitar? I mean, it'd be like Ursay, the guy that owns the yeah, Colts. Right. You know, he's got Jerry Garcia's guitar, right. and Dale, it'd be one of those guys. Totally. Yeah, five or $10 million. I had a really funny story. I walked over to Willie, got a break at the sound check, and I, and I said, Man, can I ask you about the strap? You know, that funky old strap. <laughs> Red, white, and blue yeah, goes and under the guitar. And it's, and it's all dirty oh. and funky. And, and I, said, I said, Man, is that the original one of those? Or is that like a replacement? Yeah. The original? He goes, No. That's the original one. His wife is standing next to him. I've told this story to a few people, but I just thought it was hilarious. And, and I said, uh, I, I mean, was it your idea to wrap it around your neck like that? Because that's like a, like a Spanish thing. Yeah. You know, like a gut string guy. He goes, yeah, I, I did it the other way, and I got this big knot on my shoulder, you know. Hmm. So, he, and, But I said, I said, do you remember where you got that strap? And he said, he said some, some woman gave it to me on a tour a long time ago. I don't remember who it was. And I said, uh, how long you had that thing, man? He goes, I don't know, 10, 15 years? And his wife's standing next to him, and she goes, 30 years? Time means nothing to him. <laughs> it's great. I love, I love that he thought it was 10 years. Yeah. Really great. See, now I'm going to tell that story to Amy because oh, she, she knows I have no sense of time. Oh, so, man. Dude, I met Willie one time, BMI Awards. I got an award for something. So, you know, you have that medal hanging around your neck. Yeah, yeah. And it was the year, one of the years that Jeffrey Steele got Rider of the Year. Yeah. So we were heading from BMI to some little after-hours soiree yeah. for Jeffrey. And I told Amy, I said, I got to go to the bathroom. And you know, at the BMIs, yeah. in that parking lot, the bathrooms are up in the back. Yeah. So I'm heading up there. I, I got to go to the bathroom. And outside of the door is this rather large, serious-looking man. Yeah. And he just kind of looks at me and looks at my award I guess that was the all clear sign that yeah. I'm legit. Yeah. So I go in <laughs> and I see the back of the redheaded stranger at the urinal. Wow, okay. And I hear the zip of the pants. Yeah. And he turns around and he looks at me and he sees my medal and he goes, How you doing, man? And he sticks his hand out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, going, oh man, this is truth or dare, man. I got yeah, yeah. one degree of separation from Willie's Willie's. Like, Willie's all right, Willie. oh, you shake that hand, dude. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta There's, shake that hand, man. Uh, <laughs> He's the coolest, by the way, dude. is he not? You know what Matt Rawlings said on that gig? Matt Rawlings said something so genius. He goes, he goes, look at that guy. He goes, 85 years old. He goes, name anyone in any genre of music that's more universally loved than him oh man 
No, right? didn't anybody. I mean, I never yeah. even thought about that. Mm-mm. But rappers love him. You know, everybody loves. If yeah. you don't like Willie fucking Nelson, you've got some serious yeah. problems, right? Yeah. I mean, I never even thought about that's that. That's a really good, yeah. Dude, that's the kind of guy also that if he ever stopped, he would, he'd go to heaven in an instant. Oh, what a legacy. Yeah. Fuck, man. Yeah. Dude, tell us one quick story, and I know there aren't any of when you were with Joe Walsh and you guys were out with yeah. Tom, Tom Petty. Yeah, man, that was great. I didn't realize that that was Petty's last tour. Yeah, I didn't either. Nobody did. Well, yeah, well, yeah, of course, yeah. but... Um, what was it like? Yeah. Oh, man, it was great. I mean... Um, How many guitars does that band carry? Yeah, we had a few. <laughs> but now... See, Joe was my childhood guitar idol. I, mean, oh, I grew up dude, in Cleveland. From Funk 49 and that kind of stuff. Well, you know, yeah, in Cleveland, Cleveland he rocks. was the only guy yeah. that ever came out of Cleveland. And all my whole childhood was all Joe Walsh, man. Everything, everybody talking about Joe Walsh, Joe Walsh, Joe Walsh. And, uh, man, you know, to ever just honestly get to meet the guy was yeah. an honor, let alone play with him, you know. The only reason I got the gig is because of Joe Vitale. His, his oh, drummer yeah. was an old friend of mine, right? We oh, worked okay. with Joe a lot. And when Waddy Wachtel left the gig, Vitale said, you got to get this guy. You know, and Joe's like, whatever. So they they brought me in, and, and it didn't go very easily at first. It was I don't think Joe liked me very much in the, in the early part of it, but it ended up working out great. See, I came into the thing <laughs> with a very supporting role. Right. Like, like like when I listened to the board tapes and I was learning the songs, like Waddy is a gunslinger. Yeah. He's like soloing over Joe's solos. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, well, that's awesome. Rock and roll cock out. Yeah. But when Joe Walsh is playing solo, I want to play rhythm. Right. You know? And, and, uh, so I, like I was kind of playing rhythm, you know, and, and playing kind of chill. And I, and I, I think, Joe Walsh was wanting me to play out a little more. Okay. You know, and I, and I, yeah. I remember one time in the middle of the tour, Joe wanted to work up a new tune, you know, and he, it was something that we haven't been playing, The Confessor, right? Remember that song? Oh, Confessor? yeah. So he goes, come, come into my dressing room and I'll, I'll show you what I'm playing. We can, we can play that. <laughs> so the next day at the sound check, That's a good invitation. You know, I, it, his, uh, world manager comes and gets me. Says, Joe wants to see you. So I go running in the, dressing room and Joe's in there by himself and he's scrounging around and just catering you know and he's he uh he goes uh he's got this shitty little amp and then his old and his brand new Gretsch guitar and he's like it's all out of tune and he sits down and he and he plays raunchy shit you know and it's awesome yeah and uh he goes you got it and I'm like yeah I got it and uh he, and he and we stood up and he goes he goes I just gotta tell you man you're really coming on strong. And he gives me a big hug. It made my whole life, you know? And I go, I go, Joe, man, I feel like I came in here with the wrong approach, man. Like, I feel like I came in here, like, too supportive. And he goes, mm-hmm. no, you came in just right. It's a learning curve. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, that's so good to hear. Because I just felt like I was yeah. failing, you know? Uh, that wasn't, like, cock out. And, well, especially you know I mean? when you were... At the very other end of the spectrum than Waddy was. Yeah, man. And Waddy's amazing. Oh, absolutely. I love Waddy, and he's such a badass. And he, he is, epitomizes the rock and roll oh, guitar man. player. You know, I epitomize the Nashville Session guy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. He's that, It all worked out great. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, man. You know, everything gets old after a while. I mean, even if, you were, if we were in the Beatles, mm-hmm. after a while I'd get old. But... Every night we played, just standing right next to Walsh as the, the bass drums are going, doo, 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 doo. and he goes, he looks at me, arms together. Right. And he goes, You ready? One, two, three, boom, bam, both of us hitting that. Boom, bam, was such a fucking thrill, man. Dude. I mean, it, I, I just makes me want to cry thinking about it it was just so much such a cool feeling you could just die with a smile on your face i mean because there he is the guy that wrote that shit yeah right there and he's like you ready one two three and he's you know man it's it's awesome man there's (laughs) that 13 year old again Yeah, exactly that 13 again 
Man, what a trip. You know, it does moments like, like I talked to a friend of mine the other day who was at that show we played in, that, in uh, Cleveland. And he was an old high school buddy, and he said, he goes, man, you know, I didn't talk to this guy very much. I haven't seen him in a long time. He goes, I was at that show, Tommy. Man, what the fuck was that like, man? And yeah. I was like, and I, and like, it's hard to put in words. Like, I had forgotten about it. Like, I don't sit and think about that stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm on to the next thing, you know? But, but every once in a while, like, I'll sit with a couple of beers and, if the right moment strikes me, I'll like sit and reflect about some of the shit. And I, and I, I always think, I wish I had a video camera mounted on my head yeah. that I could record some of these moments. Some of the shit that happens on these sessions, you can't even talk about it. Yeah. After it's over with, no one would ever believe you. And I wish I could just pull these little flashcards out and play things for people. Check this out. Half you know, of that stuff, though, because it's not anybody else's life, they don't, they don't understand how no, really man. amazing and, that is. Totally. And then it makes you look at other people and you go, like, what is it like to be LeBron James? Absolutely. You know, like, how, how could anybody ever put that in words? Yeah. How could he ever explain what it must feel like to be him? What's not like? that I'm comparing myself no, to no, LeBron yeah, James. No, but, or what's it like it, to deliver a baby? Totally. You know what I mean? That yeah. stuff is just, it's all exceptional stuff. It's all stuff. amazing. Yeah. And all you can do is just, Ask questions, which I try to do. Yeah, just to try to get in people's heads. I, I want to know what it feels like to do awesome things, man. And, and guitar is the only thing that I could ever do. I could never. I'm not good at fixing stuff, right? Building stuff. I'm, not, you know, I'm not mechanically inclined. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, as you can tell by this podcast. <laughs> you know, like, but I've always, I put the ten thousand hours in, man. Yeah, I did that. Yep, and, and I probably put it in twice that actually. I mean, I've always been incessant about practicing it see that's why i'm so so glad to know that you're happy and you're back wow, because dude, if, if you, you would have left the session because i mean i was around you a little bit and i know yeah. you were pretty burned out yeah. and if you would have not made it back oh man and to know that your first love was gone forever yeah, that would have really yeah, sucked yeah but i've always loved you man you too buddy you're a good dude well you've said it all man have we i love you bud Love you, man. Let's is, go that, say, is that enough yeah. material for Let's you? go say hi to your wife. Come on. I think she already left. <laughs> <laughs>